Hello, and welcome to the Big Blue View podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum, and we are coming to you on the Giants bye week. So we have no game to talk about, which... Huzzah! Yeah. Thankfully, maybe, I think, uh, that might be the best for everybody. So coming up, we have a really cool interview with Mark Schofield of Inside the Pylon and The Score, and he's written some quarterback pieces for Big Blue View. He writes all over the place. We have him coming on. We're going to talk about a lot of draft quarterbacks and guys who you should maybe pay attention to going into 2019. But before we do that, there's just one thing we have to discuss uh, really quickly before we get into that. So that was Kyle Lalletta's arrest on Tuesday morning. So it came out he was arrested on his at around 8 a.m. on Tuesday trying to get to the facility. He was arrested by the Weehawken police. It turns out he was he was trying to to make a turn onto 495 to get toward the facility. It's been reported he did not listen to a police officer who had tried to stop him. He tried to evade the officer, almost hit the officer. That was not exactly cooperative when they eventually pulled him over. Uh, it later came out that he was was sent a citation in the mail the day before about doing something similar. So that doesn't bode well. Um, so all of this happened in Weehawken. I happen to live in Weehawken, so I know exactly where this occurred. And anyone who has been in Weehawken and has tried to make this turn going on to 495, it might be the worst entrance ramp in America uh, just <laughs> due to the limited amount of space and there's now construction on 495 so at about 8 a.m they even have a lane closed going in the direction Loletta was going to be going because of all the traffic coming into the Lincoln Tunnel so 8 a.m quite literally the worst time you could be at that intersection there's been an increased police presence there I think over the past maybe month or so maybe more in my experience, they've helped with the flow of traffic. Uh, it's been much better than cars themselves trying to figure out when the right time to go or not is. So I can just say when I am driving and I have to get onto 495 to go anywhere and that's to hit the turnpike or, or anywhere like that or even to get to MetLife... I add maybe 20 minutes to my expected travel time because I know that place is absolutely terrible. So, man, yeah, that's just like, we don't know, I guess, the full story. We haven't heard from Loletta yet. Maybe we will. But just overall, this this is not a great look for a guy who was probably going to get some practice snaps this week with them on a bye and... The Giants he could have not been being, the Giants starting quarterback. Yeah, he could have been. And if if not against San Francisco when they come back from the bye, eventually later in the season. I mean, I, I don't want to go too far into what this means for Loletta. We don't know really how serious this is or how serious the league and the team are going to take this. I mean, there were 
there were multiple infractions he was he was cited for. He was arrested and charged with eluding police, which is a third-degree crime, obstructing administration of law, resisting arrest, then had motor vehicle charges for reckless driving, disregarding an officer's directions, improper turn in marked traffic lane, and failure to remain in a marked lane. That's for each... I know you can be really angry about being stuck in traffic. I'm sure we have all been there. To that extent is crazy. And to to know you have to go to that intersection and to be there at 8 a.m. is crazy to me, someone who has many times been in that intersection. So it's definitely something we're going to continue to see the fallout of this play out. Uh, but it's definitely something we have to note and definitely something we need to watch going forward. The Giants are going to have to respond to this since he got arrested and committed crimes. And also there's the NFL's personal conduct policy to take into account. So there will be ramifications from this. We don't know what they're going to be, but they will happen. And for a rookie quarterback who could be looking at trying to secure a starting job, that that is just really not good foot to put forward. I've had jokes pop into my head like, you know, 8 a.m. Davis Webb probably would have been in the film room for three hours by, at that point. But it's not really a joking matter. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not going to shame anyone for you know, not being the type of person that gets in at 5 a.m. or whatever. But I, I will say whether he was running late or not man, have have a little bit better planning of, of knowing you have to get to that turn, knowing how long uh, that takes. And, and considering Loletta was at that intersection, I'm going to assume he has been there before. Um, so he would know how bad that was. And considering he was cited for the similar thing the previous day. So th- that's my issue with it. That's just poor planning there. So then to get frustrated with the cop when... I mean, you're running late kind of as your own fault. Uh, it's whew, definitely not the circumstance the Giants wanted to have and not a question they wanted to have at quarterback as they go into this second half of the season. No, but questions are about all they have at quarterback. And I suppose on that note, we might as well just turn it over to Mark. Yeah, on on that note with the questions of quarterback. So we're going to talk to Mark a little bit about Eli, a little bit about what Loretta might bring to the field. Uh, if he Assuming gets on he gets it at this point. <laughs> yeah. And then we have a real lengthy discussion about uh, a bunch of the quarterbacks who might be in the 2019 draft class. So please enjoy this. I, I definitely know I did. We're joined now by Mark Schofield, whose work you might know from Inside the Pylon. Uh, He writes at The Score. He hosts Locked On Patriots. He's written some things quarterback-wise for Big Blue View. First of all, Mark, how do you do all of this? And and second of all, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Dan, Chris, thanks so much for having me on. And Yeah, I get that question a ton. I don't sleep a lot. I sleep maybe five hours a night and it's going to catch up with me. Eventually I watch way more football than I should. I mean, 
I've even covered the Minnesota Golden Gophers for Minnesota Rivals, part of the Rivals Network. And so, I mean, I could hear, I could sit here and tell you what the Illinois fight in the line I look because I just spent a couple of hours breaking down their film because that's who Minnesota's playing this weekend. I just watch an insane amount of football and I really just don't sleep until June. Well, that's one way to do it. So, uh, how's Lovey Smith doing? They're in a bad spot right now, my friends. They're in a bad <laughs> spot. They've got some some trouble on the offensive side of the ball. They can't figure out the quarterback position. They get a senior graduate transfer as well as a true freshman who they've been sort of rotating through. Those guys can't seem to figure it out. They've got some talented receivers, but they're having trouble with drops. They do a lot of quick game stuff that is predicated on time and rhythm in the passing game, and the quarterbacks can't seem to figure it out. Defensively, they're a bit weak. They've got this kid um, – Number 35, Herbert, I think is his last name. It's escaping me right now. Who's a very solid linebacker, but he's probably one of the better players they've got defensively. They're, they're a bit weak. Their defensive coordinator just resigned due to health reasons. And so that's a team that's struggling. They're coming off three blowout losses in a row, including one where they let Maryland hand up 63 on them. So, you know, they're struggling right now. They're struggling <laughs> right now. <laughs> All right. So, and then, so everybody who tuned in for an update on the Illinois fight at Illini, you got what you were coming for. You got what you were waiting for. You can just log off happy now, I guess. And as someone who has a Ricky Smalling on a developmental dynasty roster, I was kind of okay with it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he he actually flashed a little bit against Maryland. Like he's shown the ability to sort of separate at times. You know, he put up a. I see the guy that put up the big game. I think he had six catches for one fifty three and two touchdowns. It all sort of came in garbage time. But yeah, I mean, hang on to him. I think. All right, so uh, so we've we've started to maybe go off the rails. I don't know. We're we're gonna be talking about quarterbacks that's what we're supposed to be talking about maybe conversations about illinois football might (laughs) go better i i don't know but for those of you unfamiliar with with mark he's one of the best at breaking down quarterbacks and their plays so we're going to briefly go over what the giants have at quarterback right now i know that's a topic we have talked about quite a bit and then we're going to talk about some draft prospects guys who are in college now that the giants and you might be looking at as the college season progresses and we head into draft season and with the giants one and seven quarterback might be might be a thing that comes up a couple of times for the second half of the season so Mark, I guess we can start with with what the Giants have right now, and that is a 37-year-old Eli Manning, uh, who has has been weird, not been great, also not been totally terrible when he has time. So what have you seen from Eli this year? I mean, it's it's mostly been a mixed bag, and I know sort of early, say, in the first four or five weeks of the season – one of the main sort of knocks on him was, look, this offense has some vertical weapons in the passing game between Odell Beckham, obviously, and Evan Ingram, and you know, to a lesser extent, Sterling Shepard, Russell Shepard. There is an opportunity here to push the ball downfield, particularly when you see, for example, you look at that New Orleans Saints game, and they played a lot of cover two, a lot of Tampa two, particularly into the second half. That gives you that deep outside. That gives you the middle of the field between the safeties. 
they drew up some plays to attack those areas of the field and Eli wasn't pulling the trigger. And, you know, so there were a lot of check downs, a lot of Saquon Barkley in the passing game as a receiver, which he can do. That's one of the reasons that you would look at him as a top five draft pick in last year's class because of, you know, the fact of the emphasis on the pass game of the NFL that maybe, maybe you would be willing to do a running back at that point in the draft. That was sort of the, the problems early. Now, in the past couple of weeks, they've done more. They've taken more shots. Maybe, you know, people like me and everybody else that was screaming about the vertical pass game, it started to sink in a little bit. But the fact remains this. This is a 37-year-old quarterback. The back nine is well in play right here to the point where, you know, the 19th hole is around the corner. And so it's it's time to consider the next step. Now, I'm not saying that Eli Manning couldn't give you one more year. There is a window, perhaps, where you look at a quarterback in this next class or you look at a Kyle Lawletta and say, at some point, the transition will have to happen. Maybe into next year or late next year, we can still squeeze some more out of Eli Manning. But it's time to think replacements. And I'm saying that as somebody that came into the season – somewhat optimistic not that Eli Manning was going to revert to you know any sort of form that he had years past but that when you looked at some of the stuff he was able to do last year you looked at some of the velocity throws he was able to make you looked at some of the willing throwing windows he was willing to challenge last year in games against Washington for example had a great throw against the cover two look on that vertical route squeezing it between the safety and the corner before the you know both players rotated over the types of stuff throws that he wasn't making and you saw that stuff last year. You thought, look, maybe there was a window for him to still perform at a high enough level that you could justify what they did. It seems like that window is closing faster than we think. So that's going to lead us into the bulk of today's conversation, I bet. Yeah, that pretty much covers I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, people that read Big Blue View or people that I'm sure listen to your podcast or follow my work – it, the situation is what it is, and I know that's such like a mealy mouth expression, like okay, but it truly is. The you know the evidence is in front of all of us, and I think it's hard for somebody, you know, even the most ardent of Eli Men and supporters at this point to say, look, you know, we this team can still win games and be competitive and get to the playoffs with him as a quarterback. I don't think you can make that case. Yes, there have been problems in the protection, especially early in the season. They were struggling to protect him. That has gotten a little bit better. You know, obviously the offensive line is probably not what people want it to be, but it's still a little bit better. And we're still seeing sort of the inability to sort of get things done. And I think you look at, you know, the game against Washington last week, for example, you know, you have DJ Swanger gets two interceptions. The first is on a poorly placed, you know, route in the end zone where he tries to force the slant in to Odell Beckham Jr. Swanger plays it well. You know, he, he's covering the number three receiver, Ingram. He jams him off the line, but then breaks on the slant. It's a perfect read, but the throw is off target. Then the second interception, it's a vertical route. Throw is badly off target. And so, the inconsistencies along with everything else just leads us down a different path away from number 10. It does. Personally, I, I feel like I've seen flashes of classic Eli, but it's just yeah, it, not consistent. It, not it's, it's not, it's not anywhere near consistent enough, Chris, where you'd be comfortable in, you know, you know, let's put it this way. It, it's a poor analogy, but you know, if you were training somebody to drive a vehicle, and you just saw flashes of them being able to drive a vehicle, you wouldn't let ha then hand them the keys to your brand new car and say, all right, here you go. I, I, I think you're good to go now. 
have fun, just bring this thing back, you know, Sunday afternoon, take the car for the weekend. Like you wouldn't do that. And I know it's a dumb and little analogy, but you need some consistency at the quarterback position. And when you're not getting it, you know, it's hard on an offense to be productive. It's hard as a receiver when you're running the routes and the ball is not where it's supposed to be when it's supposed to be there. It's hard as an offensive lineman sometimes when you're having to block and you're expected to block on a quick game concept and the ball's not coming out when it should. And now instead of blocking for a couple of seconds, you're asked to block five, six seconds to do a play. That's going to be tough on even the best of offensive linemen. And so there's this trickle down effect of inconsistency at the quarterback position. And that's what we're seeing right now with the giants. Yeah, and that's, that's something we talked about uh, yeah, after the Washington game. I mean, you see he was sacked seven times and had 10 hits, but that fastest sack only came at 3.3 seconds, which is not super fast. Uh, that's something the quarterback should probably get the ball away. So I think when we start to move on from Eli at some point, what is left on the roster right now is Kyle Aletta, and of course there's... You know, speaking of new, of, uh, new questions speaking there. of the driving thing yeah <laughs> so uh, why don't we before we get into the draft things can you just give uh, a bit of a, a your quick scouting report on Kyle Lalletta and what he might be able to bring uh, in maybe the second half of the season yeah and you know just to your point quickly Dan on the, the sort of the time to throw in three seconds and stuff like that you go to next-gen stats and yes part of this might be skewed by escape in and buy in time but this year jared Goff, for example average time to throw from snap to release is 2.94 seconds i mean and so it's not like you know that's outside the realm of possibility but there are you know other times other quarterbacks are getting out so much faster for example like a drew Brees, you know 2.55 and so when you see that type of you know ask of an offensive lineman it's tough as for loletta a kid that I was pretty high on, you know, in the draft process, got a chance to see him down in person in Mobile, you know, watched a ton of his film, did a ton of video work on him last draft cycle. Very sort of cerebral type quarterback, played in four different offensive systems while he was at Richmond. You know, a leader type kid, multiple year captain type, um, had a knee injury that he came back from. You know, he was somebody that... You know, as the host of the Locked On Patriots podcast, there was a lot of excitement about him sort of in the New England area. The thought that he might be the next Brady. He might be the guy. Look, you've got Navy ties. You've got lacrosse ties. That's going to be a Bill Belichick type kid. And, you know, he sort of really rose through the draft process, partly because the rest of the guys down at the Senior Bowl, absent, of course, you know, Allen and Baker Mayfield, weren't really that exciting to most people. And so people really sort of locked in on Loletta. Very accurate quarterback. You know, throws well on the move. Very, I, I'd say he's not overly schemed specific, you know, but I think because of the lack of true upper end velocity, he's more of a Ernst Perkins, West Coast, air raid type quarterback. You're not drafting him to run the North Turner downfield air Coriel type system. He doesn't have that true velocity. But, you know, let's remember that, you know, 80, 90% of throws in the NFL today come, you know, 20 yards or less, you know, because that's the focus of offensive systems right now. They're throwing the ball short. So I think he could run an NFL offense effectively. Very good with timing, very good with rhythm, very good with anticipation. You know, these types of things sound like what Pat Schumer sort of wants in a quarterback. Now, the problem is twofold right now. One, to a lesser extent, does he have a problem with his driver's license? And I'm kind of joking there, but look, we get it. You're stuck in traffic. You, you're you late. You, you get frustrated. We all get it. We've all been there, but eh, question the decision-making there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, from a more serious perspective, 
And, you know, I've only tangentially now been covering the Giants for a couple of months. You guys have lived this. Would there be sort of an acceptance in the fan base if New York decides, look, we're going to roll with Eli and Kyle Lawletta into next year? I'm not quite sure that there's going to be that willingness to give these two quarterbacks a shot, especially, and perhaps it's not fair, but when you're seeing, you know, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and yes, even Josh Allen go out and win games. And yeah, they're not putting up huge numbers. All of them have completion percentages below 60%, but they're all rookies. And we sort of see a lot of quarterbacks make that year one to year two jump. You do wonder if this organization is going to be willing to sort of sit pat, haven't made the decisions they made last year, and then pass on quarterback again. Now that decision might be out of their hands, given the quarterback class we're about to talk about. You know, but this was a lot of question. So to circle it back to him, I think in the right circumstances, in the right offensive system, in the right environment, he can become a mid-tier starting quarterback in the National Football League. Whether he gets that chance in New York, given all the other stuff remains to be seen. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And I think if we go to whether they would have, you know, the leash going forward, I, I think Walletta would definitely have that more than I think if they said Eli and Lawletta going forward, if you have Lawletta get maybe four or five games at the end of the season and he looks okay, maybe you can pass off that you're going to try a year with him. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a tough thing, especially with that they're going to be picking at the top of the draft. But now, like you said, we can go into there. There's not a lot at the top of the draft. And uh, so I'm looking at your, you put up on Big Blue View a 2019 quarterback watch list for the draft. And the consensus top two guys, Justin Herbert and Dwayne Haskins, and neither one of those guys are locks to come out. And maybe they might be better off not coming out, uh, especially a guy like Haskins. This is only his first year as a starter. Um, so the top of the draft where the Giants would be picking and trying to get that quarterback, that kind of scares me that there's just not going to be that guy there when now they need it. Yeah, and you know, it's going to be the million dollar question, you know, whether, you know, Herbert in particular, whether he comes out. I I would be surprised if Haskins comes out. I think he's much more likely to stay, like you said, it's his first year as a starter. Um you know, you look at Ohio State and they're a team that is contending for a national title year in and year out. And so, you know, maybe he's looking at things like, yeah, there are areas where he needs to improve. He needs to improve versus, you know, pressure. He needs to improve, you know, when he's flushed east-west instead of north-south. You know, there are times when you can see the accuracy dip a bit. And so there are areas where Haskins could, you know, stand well to improve upon. And, you know, staying another year might sort of help him in that effort. Now, with Herbert, it, it's an interesting situation because you look at this draft class and you think, look, you're probably the top quarterback in this group. And it's a weak draft class. And so if you come out in all likelihood, even though people are looking at this quarterback group as a down group, it's not a year to draft a quarterback. If you're the guy, somebody's going to go get you. You know, whether it's the Giants, whether it's, you know, another team that, you know, wants to go get a quarterback, you know, it's going to be an interesting year in terms of teams that are going to be in the quarterback hunt because a lot of teams probably think that they're okay at the quarterback position. There might be a couple of, 
teams at the fringes, you know, maybe a Jacksonville that thinks, look, this Blake Bortles thing has run its course. You know, there are probably some teams like the Chargers, the Saints, maybe the Saints have their guy in Bridgewater or even Taysom Hill, who knows. Um, but the Patriots that maybe need to do it sooner rather than later, but there's still a window where they can pass on it. And so it's going to be an interesting year in terms of teams that need quarterbacks. But if you put the Giants firmly in that mix, you would think that, you know, Herbert would be the guy. And you would think that because of that, there's a team that wants you. You'll be a top five pick, the money that comes with that. At the same time, you know, he's got a younger brother that's going to be a tight end. And so maybe he decides, I don't want to come out. And in addition, you know, maybe from what we've seen in the past couple of weeks, have played a little bit poorly recently. Scouts maybe are sour in just a little bit. Maybe he starts to think, look, maybe there are things I can improve on, so I'll pass as well. Yeah, I was going to bring up the opportunity for him to play with his little brother because from everything I've read, he was an Oregon fan before he was an Oregon student. And, you know, the chance to play on the team you grew up rooting for with your little brother, that seems yeah. like it would be a difficult thing to pass up on. It's a huge draw. I mean, it would be for anybody. Um, excuse me. But from what I've been told by some people sort of in the Pac-12 is that they think he's going to go. And these are people associated with different teams. You know, people are going to be playing against him. Their impression is that, look, you look at the economics of it. You look at the potential injury history of it. You look at the fact that if you wait, then maybe you're going to be looped in with Haskins again. Some other guys that sort of come up, you know, we see some other quarterbacks that are underclassed right now. They make similar leaps that we've seen other younger quarterbacks make. You know, maybe you're not the surefire number one guy. And so if you are going to be the number one quarterback drafted. If there's really nobody else in a position to sort of challenge you, it's tough to sort of pass on that opportunity, even if it's an opportunity to play for your team with your younger brother and just have a fantastic last season in college. Yeah, that's it's definitely going to be an interesting thing to watch and something we might not know until the deadline of when they have to declare. Uh, so if we just stick on Herbert, who would be the top guy uh, if he does come out, what are some of the things uh, you like about Herbert and what are some of the things you think he might have to work on? Yeah, I mean, with Herbert, what really sort of stands out is the anticipation. I mean, we see velocity, you know, which really stands out. And the velocity is really guys to all levels of the field. I mean, you look at, you know, one of the first throws, one of the first touchdowns he had this year against Bowling Green. Vertical route, middle of the field against a cover two look. And he just threw it in there on a line. And he couldn't have, you know, the, the announcer that was doing the color analyst analysis of the game basically said, and it's so accurate, you know, he couldn't have handed the ball to him in a better position. It was just an incredible throw. But the anticipation, you see the anticipation in the deep game when he's throwing guys open. You see it even in the quick game or in the intermediate game. You look at that game that he had against Stanford. He had a number of throws in that game where he was getting the ball out on curl routes, on hitch routes, on comeback routes. When the receiver wasn't even starting to get into his break, he was pulling the trigger and the ball would be right on the receiver as he turned around. I mean, that's NFL-type stuff. And so that's what stands out with him on the, on the plus side. Weaknesses with him. 
You know, there are some times when you pressure him, when you flusher him, you see him miss a lot of throws. The accuracy dips a lot. Situational awareness, that's an issue that I have with him. There were times, this was more so off of his last year's tape. We're seeing a little bit of an improvement in this area, but route concepts that were designed to attack a specific coverage in a specific situation, like third and short type of moments, he would give up on those. He would come off those too quickly. He wouldn't make the right decisions in those moments. Those are some things that he's starting to clean up, but I still want to see some more work in that area how much of a concern do we have of a sub 60 percent completion percentage right now now you said he is he can be accurate and accuracy can be a strength so is there an underlying reason i know i've seen some things where the oregon scheme right now isn't always putting him in a great situation Uh, is that something that's taken into account for that or um, is, yeah, is that I mean, something that yeah, should be concerning? Yeah, yeah. There's there's some of a scheme element to it. It's you know they're doing a little bit more downfield. It's not the Oregon offense of the, of the past where we you know a lot of swin route screens and tunnel screens and stuff like that. This is more of a downfield type passing game, and so. We're used to seeing Oregon quarterbacks putting up, you know, 67, 70, 72% completion ratings, you know, percentages. It's a little bit different. And so that plays a role. Um, but I don't get too hung up on the pure completion percentage, you know, because if you're doing your job with putting the ball where it's supposed to be, when it's supposed to be, which he does for the most part, then I'm okay with it. You know, completion percentage can get skewed a little bit, whether it's drops or pass breakups or other things, you know, but there are times, like I mentioned, Dan, where the, so the accuracy does dip a little bit when he's facing pressure, and that's something he's going to have to work on. After we have Herbert here, uh, is there like a clear second tier of guys or is it just kind of there's just a whole bunch of guys and, and we don't really know what to make of them yet? I think it's more the latter. And if you would sort of ask me like preseason, like who are the guys that would be, you know, in that mix for the top tier of quarterbacks? All the guys we're about to mention would have been in that mix, but they've like really fallen off. And you look at Drew Locke at Missouri, who people had sort of as QB1, the Mel Kuypers of the world had as QB1, but he's really struggled, you know. And one of the things that really sort of sticks out with him is he's had some resume-type games or resume-type moments where you can say, look, he's going to go out, you know, SEC game against, you know, Georgia, SEC games against Alabama. What's he going to do? Nothing. It's been bad. And you look at it, Dane Brugler actually tweeted this out just yesterday. You know, his numbers against SEC and the non-SEC co- conference opponents is staggered in the difference. Against non-conference opponents, he's completing 71% of his passes for over 1,400 yards, five touch, 15 touchdowns, one interception. Against SEC opponents, completing less than 50%, one TD, five interceptions. Those aren't the kind of numbers you want to see. You want to see quarterbacks in those sort of resume games, you know, and in the SEC, every conference game is a resume type game, stand out, perform. You want to see them play up to the level of competition. We haven't seen that from Drew Locke this year. And my main sort of concern with him was the offense that he was running over the past couple of years, there's more of this like Baylor type offense, you know, under Art Bryles where a lot of curl routes, hitch routes, stuff along the boundary screens. I wanted to see him get you know, more aggressive in the middle of the field, run a more diverse offense. It hasn't really panned out. The numbers haven't been great. The accuracy hasn't been great. Hem, again, his response to pressure is even is really bad. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and so 
he's sort of taken a dive. Will Greer was somebody I liked. Will Greer was somebody I thought would sort of benefit from the Baker Mayfield hype of last year and Mayfield going number one overall. Another one of these air raid quarterbacks in the Big 12. Uh, long, elongated throw and delivery. Things can look ugly at times with the mechanics, the throw in motion. Started off great. He's fallen of late as well. Needs to do a better job taking care of the football. Really struggled it against Iowa State. Um, that was a poor performance from him. So, you know, there was a struggle there. Brian the Werke, the kid at Michigan State. You know, he's now injured, benched, struggling. Um, I'm actually going out to Maryland this week, hoping to see him, but he might not even play. Um, so instead, I'm going to get to see Maryland's players walk out on DJ Durkin, which is going to be another interesting story. <laughs> but that's for a, a different podcast. But Lewerke has struggled. Jared Stidham was th- somebody who thought uh, he might make a rise if they let him do more in the offense. They let him do more in the offense, and it hasn't worked. So that's been a struggle. Ryan Finley, I liked him. He struggled. He had a resume game type game against Clemson. Did not perform well at all. And, and so that leads us to like three quarterbacks, I think. You know, that because of all these struggles from these other guys, they're in opportunities perhaps where they can make themselves at the top of that second tier. And that's Daniel Jones from Duke, Brett Rippon from Boise State, and Tyree Jackson from Buffalo, who we got to saw play last night. I had a feeling you were going to go to those guys. So I actually spent some time some time today watching them. Um, By the way, is it just me or does Tyree Jackson look like he has Wilt Chamberlain's legs? he's a big human being. I he, mean, he, he certainly is. And, you know, what, what's amazing about him is that, you know, everybody that was so excited about Josh Allen last year, the size, the athleticism, the arm, like all of this stuff. Well, Tyree Jackson is a pretty good facsimile of all that. And what's interesting about him is I think that, you know, Jackson has a better sort of understanding of route concepts, coverage concepts, using touch and feel to make throws, despite having worse mechanics than Josh Allen. And, and so it's going to be very interesting, you know, if he does come out, because I think he's got one more year, year of eligibility, you know, where people who were fans of Josh Allen, you know, come down on Tyree Jackson. But we saw it again last night, you know, the arm is incredible. Um, you know, Emery Hunt, who does fantastic work covering, you know, the draft and football, you know, he tweeted something that's so accurate. You know, when you're playing with Tyree Jackson, you're always open, you know, because even if you're covered 50, 60, 70 yards downfield, he can still make that throw and throw you open. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that typically gets NFL people excited. And so, you know, Jackson's played himself into a nice position. I know that there are others that don't really see it with him. I still do. And then the other two guys, Jones and Rippin, who I've been writing, I've been writing about Rippin since he was a freshman, um, a kid that I really like. He's not going to get a lot of people excited. He's more my type of quarterback, which is the does the little things, throws from the pocket, anticipation, manipulation with the eyes. Again, doesn't have an overpowering arm. He might sound to people like he's Kyle Lalletta 2.0. I think he's a little bit better than that, and he's somebody that is also sort of benefiting from the fall we've seen from other quarterbacks. So I want to uh, I want to stick on Rippin for a little bit because he was someone. So when I go through these quarterbacks, especially at this stage, I, I kind of look at some numbers first, and and then I look at you know how they're playing. And a lot of times when I'm looking at the quarterback for the first time, I go through kind of the defenses they have played 
And I look at kind of the best defenses they've played and then try to watch that quarterback against those defenses. So my Brett Rippon experience was against San Diego State, who by S&P Plus is like a top 10 passing defense. And that performance was just not good. And I'm going to be biased because that was really my one exposure to him. And his overall numbers are not terrible when I look at them for this season. But someone who has his worst game against the best competition kind of scares me. Is that fair? I mean, it's it's in the general, it's more than fair. I mean, that's, you know, I was just talking about Drew Locke and sort of you how you want to see them fair in, you know, games against tough opponents. You know, you want to see them sort of step up. And that was, by and large, Rippon's worst game. And I think anybody that sort of looked at his body of work, you know, his family included, I'll just say that, will say that, yeah, this, this was his worst game. But I think if you sort of take a step back and look at the bigger picture with him, you know, if you – and I know the Parcells rules sort of get skewed out the window um, because so many people leave early and stuff. But if you are a believer in those rules – and I know some organizations still do believe in those rules. Rippin checks every single one of those boxes. I mean, and when you look at him, you know, from a trait-based perspective, you know, what we're seeing is the play speed, the processing speed, the decision-making, the eye manipulation, the ability to make throws based on leverage, the ability to read a defense and react to a defense when the pre-snap look and the post-snap look don't match up. You know, we're seeing that stuff from him, and we've been seeing it from him over the years. Now, you know, the production in the game, like that game against San Diego State, you know, if you watch that game against Oklahoma State a little bit earlier this year, I think his team let him down there. He was making throws to all levels of the field with accuracy, with the velocity. You know, he's had some really good games this year as well. And so I think the overall body of work leans in his favor, but I more than understand, look, if you looked, if you just watched one game on him and that was it, I would more than understand people saying, look, he's, he's, he's not the guy. That's fair. I mean, I'm I'm definitely going to to watch more, but yeah, that was my first exposure to him. I tried to watch these guys since it's it's very early in my evaluation process of just looking at these guys trying to get them against the best defense they've played so far. So, yeah, that was not a great early look, but yeah, like I said, the the overall statistics on him of, of things I would look at are not bad. So he's definitely someone I will continue to watch. Can you sell me on Daniel Jones without saying tall and big arm? What's interesting about Jones and, you know, those are the things that are going to get people excited about him. But I think if you sort of dig in a little bit deeper into Daniel Jones, what you're going to see is a quarterback that, you know, moves well in the pocket you know, he handles the blitz and the pressure better than I think a lot of quarterbacks do at this age. Yeah, you know, th- there are times when boundary blitzes get him. You look back last year against Army, he was, you know, caught by a boundary blitz that he didn't see coming. But he really performs pretty well. He hands in there well. He shows that pocket princess you want to see against pressure. I like the process and speed too. And that's both from clean pockets as well as pressure-filled pockets. He shows that ability to sort of speed up his thought process you know, when in the face of the blitz, I also love his ability to sort of 
read defenses and make quick decisions when they're running sort of short game concepts, RPO type concepts, the stuff that we're seeing in the NFL more and more of shows really good process and speed in those moments. West coast concepts as well show some good anticipation on those concepts. Tosser concept, for example, he had a throw against army where he had, you know, that tosser concept, two slants coming from one side of the field, really read that inside defender. Well, that sort of overhand defender, that defender at reacted a little bit differently than you might expect, made a great throw reading off of him. It shows you the ability to sort of climb the pocket. A lot of quarterbacks, Brian the Werke is a prime example of this. He's a quarterback that in the face of pressure likes to escape out the back door. Jones, however, one of those quarterbacks is very good at sort of climbing the pocket in those moments. And if you like really the little things, you know, the crisp release, the clean mechanics, that's great. Does little things like being active pre-snap, pointing out defenders, pointing out blitzes, and even down to hard counts. And, you know, that's something that, you know, you don't hear a lot of people mention in their draft evaluation, but, you know, using his cadence and just in his voice and things like that. And so these are the things that I like about him beyond the sort of the size, the velocity, the arm that will get most people excited. You get down into the little things, like I was talking about Brett Rippon. I think Jones also does them as well. Yeah. And I know I was watching the Virginia Tech game before. I haven't gotten through it, so don't spoil it. Okay. But <laughs> I've noticed that, like, his throws downfield, I really like his placement on some of them. Drop it, like, right over the receiver's uh, shoulder. And th- the two that I've seen so far, the receiver didn't hang on to the ball. But overall, g- good placement down the field, which something you kind of want, especially playing in the Northeast. Right. Possibly playing in the Northeast in uh, right. <laughs> in this time of year. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you want to get into the other stuff that, you know, gets people excited, look, the the arm talent is there, the velocity is there, the downfield placement, those are all parts of the total package. And, you know, so I, I think, you know, he had the injury, the collarbone injury, obviously he's coming back from that. You know, there was a little bit of rust that had to get knocked off, but I think we're now seeing again, you know, Daniel Jones is a player that, you know, is a, is a quarterback that, if you're a fan of a team that needs a quarterback, uh, you know, some point in the next couple of years, you're definitely going to want to do your homework on. Uh, if we stick on him real quick, so what would you say, uh, if you do know the answer to this, would be the biggest difference between last year and this year for him? Because uh, last year he had 5.5 adjusted yards per attempt, which is borderline atrocious. Um, this year it's up to 8.4, which is okay. It's not among, you know, the top guys. So what, what has been the difference in his game from those two seasons? Well, I think, I think part of it is schematic because when you sort of look at, you know, when you, when you look at this offense last year and you look at some of the stuff they're doing this year, last year, there were a lot of West coast type concepts. I'll just sort of use that loosely, but a lot of stuff where they're throwing design swim routes they're throwing slant flat, you know, they're running slant flat concepts a ton. They were working in verticals and stuff, but you know, there are a lot of sort of design throws, you know, in the shorter areas of the field this year, there's been a lot more of the emphasis on the deep ball. You know, there's a lot more of the emphasis on the vertical passing game, you know, and, and something to remember, obviously, you know, any sort of cut lift quarterback, you know, you, you're going to get the all oh, cut lift. He's, you know, a quarterback guru type. And, you know, one of the things that Cutliffe said about quarterbacks, he said this in a 2014 coaching clinic is this, you know, the difference between being good or great is the anticipation. And I think that's what we're also starting to see with Jones is because now, 
you know, the more familiar you use with this offense, the ball is getting out a little bit quicker. And you see this from quarterbacks, you know, over the course of their careers, the more experienced they are, the faster the game is for them. The ball comes out quicker. And that's what leads to yardage after the catch. I know there's this whole school of thought that quarterbacks don't play any role in yardage after the catch. And I would really push back on that because I think if you look at two things in particular, anticipation and placement, if you as a quarterback can put your receiver in a position to succeed after the catch, he's going to have a better shot at picking up that yardage after the catch. And that's going to lead you to better production, better numbers, better yards per attempt and, and the like. And so, you know, I think when you sort of watch all these quarterbacks, Jones in particular, but all of these guys watch to see how well they put their receivers in position for yardage after the catch, because if you can do that, the difference as, it, as somebody that played receiver just for one year, you know, the difference between being able to make a, a step or two after the reception before that defender closes or having to make a contested catch and then try to pick up additional yardage, they're worlds apart. So the quarterback plays a huge role in that, and that's been part of Jones's sort of development over the past year or so that has played a role in it as well. So you're saying it's easier for a receiver to pick up yards if he doesn't have to twist himself into a pretzel to catch the ball first. I think that's a fair way to put it. Yes, I do, sir. <laughs> okay. That seems great. Really straight. Yeah, you, you would think it, but you know, sometimes people have other opinions. Yeah, and probably if it's not behind the line of scrimmage and waiting for three people to try to tackle them. Sorry, this is just a podcast, and we have to complain about Saquon Barkley's receiving usage at least once. No, and you know, and another example of that was a throw that they made to in the Saints game, that shallow crosser to Odell on a third and eight play when oh. they're dropping eight into coverage. I mean, you're not going to pick up yardage after the catch if you've got to work your way through eight defenders to do it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Like <laughs> we're just working we're some stuff out here, guys. We're talking, we're about, we're talking about quarterbacks. So I, I think we went through a decent amount. Is there anyone else who, who you might be thinking that people should probably watch? Uh, I know from my point of view, uh, I am a big fan of Mackenzie Milton of yeah. UCF. Uh, I know you haven't studied him as much. Uh, I think we've talked about that um, before. He's... He's someone I'm kind of excited about as possibly like a mid-round type of guy. I'll definitely be excited to see um, as someone who went to Temple uh, what he does against a pretty good Temple defense um, on Thursday. But is there any other guy you think who might be in that mid-round area who, who we should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a bunch of names. I really sort of, well, again, I'm a quarterback guy. I'm a member of the, the quote-unquote quarterback union, and so I got to defend every quarterback class. Um, and, you know, yes, it might not have the star power at the top that we've seen from the past two years, perhaps, but I think this is an interesting class as it gets deep into sort of day three. I mean, you look at some guys, Nate Stanley at Iowa, he's going to get that sort of, you know, pro style offense under center play action stuff like that but you know he does some nice things in the vertical passing game clayton thorson from northwestern he's coming off of an injury you know had a really sort of slow start but he's starting to pick up steam um easton stick at north dakota state you know Johnstown State coaches Bo Pelini. Uh, those two teams are playing each other this week. That's a championship game rematch from a couple of years ago. Bo Pelini basically came out and said, look, this is a kid that has a, there, there's a role for him on Sundays. Now, I came into this year on Easton Stick thinking he was a Logan Woodside plus. Logan Woodside was a type of quarterback that I liked, like I alluded to. Um, he got drafted you know, late, so I, I would be 
you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see Easton Stick get drafted. I've been somewhat underwhelmed with him so far, but he's a sort of day three guy. Another day three guy, also at the FCS level, Taryn Christian from South Dakota State. Another kid I've been watching for a long time. Athletic, big arm, moves around well. You know, probably, again, just a day three guy, maybe an undrafted free agent type, but he's intriguing. Um, Jake Browning has a serious arm issue that he's going to have to deal with. I don't know if he passes the threshold, you know, with that arm that you need to out be a functional quarterback in the NFL, but he does a lot of other things. Nice. Um, so, and I know he's had a lingering sort of shoulder injury that he's worked his way back from, you know, uh, there's a name to watch. Um, people mentioned Trace McSorley. I think Trace McSorley is a great college football quarterback. He's a great college football quarterback. Okay. I think that sort of speaks for itself. I'm not sure he has a home in the national football league, but some names to watch at the end. You mentioned Mackenzie Milton, you know, started to dive into him a little bit more. I was very curious to see what life would be like for him without Scott Frost. I think there's a path to the NFL for him. I'm not so sure if it's going to be easy, you know, but I think with some of the new offensive concepts we're seeing in the national football league, you know, there is a potential for him to play in this league. The size then will be a question. He is undersized, but we're starting to see more and more teams take a shot on undersized quarterbacks. A six foot quarterback just went first overall. And so, you know, I do wonder, you know, cause he has one more year of eligibility, right? Yes. Yeah, he does. So, I mean, he might be a guy that could benefit from doing this for one more year at UCF and then coming out. Um, a guy that should be getting some more attention. I think is Manny Wilkins at Arizona state. I really like him sort of handle in the pocket. You know, I really, I, I wrote a piece over at Inside the Pylon sort of contrasting him with Brian Lewerke. Lewerke was getting so much buzz for his dual threat nature as a passer, running around back there. But I said, look, you know, that's not what you, that's not always going to fly in the NFL. In the NFL, you need to sort of climb the pocket. Wilkins, that's what he does. And, you know, he's coming off some a uh, couple of decent games here. So there's a guy to keep an eye on. Kidges Costello, the kid out at Stanford. Um, he, he's flashed at times this year, flashed at times of that Oregon game. You know, there's a keep in mind. And I'll, I'll throw out this name, Pat Schumer. I mean, Kyle Schumer, excuse me, <laughs> Vanderbilt. I, but, you know, he's shown a couple of things here and there that would make you think he's going to find his way into a camp. So, so he's a fun name. And I'll end with this fun name. Devlin Hodges, the kid at Samford. If anybody watched that Florida State-Samford game, they know the kid that I'm talking about. Undersized quarterback has shall we say as bill rafferty would say he has some onions to him okay the kid has <laughs> guts the kid will just go out there and sling it and that's what he was doing against florida state he threw it all over the field against those guys yeah they ended up losing you look back last year they had a game against georgia he was throwing it all over the place in that game um get let down by his teammates a couple of times their first round playoff game against Kennesaw State it was one of those games you know when we started before we hit record we were talking about watching cutups usually you watch a cut up on a quarterback it's like 8 9 10 11 minutes his was like 29 it was 29 <laughs> minutes because he threw it like 67 times in a playoff game. He's just throwing wow. it all over the place. I mean, he's undersized. He probably won't even get an invite to the East West Shrine game. But Devlin Hodges at Sanford, if you get a chance, just watch that kid because he is a ton of fun watching him play the game. But those are some other names just kind of throw out there. It, it's a fun class when you get sort of into the depth area of it. Unfortunately, you know, without Justin Herbert, you know, it, it's not the kind of class where you'd be excited about if your team needed a quarterback. 
which brings us sort of to where we started and how the Giants have sort of handled the quarterback position over the past year or so. And, you know, if Herbert comes out, Giants fans probably feel a little bit better about things. You can get yourself Justin Herbert. He's probably the top guy in this class. But if he doesn't, do you, do you go the free agency route, the bridge route? Do you just see what you have in Loveletta? It's going to be a tough decision. One last question, I suppose, for me. If Herbert doesn't come out, would you think that Tua, and I'm going to attempt his last name, Tagovailoa, or Jake Fromm, or as I start to, started to think of him, uh, State Farm, mm-hmm. are they worth waiting on? And then m- maybe making the move in 2020, assuming they come out then. What's going to be interesting about the next group is, you know, you're also going to get Jacob Eason into the mix too. That's right. Because he transferred from Georgia um, because of from um, Tua is, I think Tua is legit um, from everything that I've seen from him so far. And he might sort of, in a sense, be worth it. You might also sort of get Haskins in that mix as well, you know? And, and so, but it's a risk. It's always a risk because, and this is one of the things that I've always sort of tried to like preach, you know, over the past year or so. And I even wrote a piece on it, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, the grass is always greener and development is not linear. That was basically the gist of it. Which is, look, you know, it, it's easy to sort of assume that a year down the road, two years down the road, you know how these guys are going to develop, you know what they're going to look like, how they're going to be, how talented they're going to be. Um, but the development always doesn't pan out that way. And, you know, I went back and I looked at, you know, early mock drafts, mock drafts like that come out, you know, mid-May on, oh, this is what next year's group is going to look like. And some names that were banded about over the past, you know, decade or so as surefire first-round draft picks in those early mocks, Brad Kaya, Matt Barkley, Landry Jones, um, you know, Tyler Bray. You know, these are the types of quarterbacks that people think, oh, you know, these guys are so good. The development's going to be there. It doesn't always happen that way. And so while Tua looks legit now, things could change. Um, while Fromm looks pretty good right now, things could change. We're expecting things from Eason. We're expecting things from Haskins. And, and so, um, you know, punting it to 2020, while it looks good right now, it may not always pan out that way. And so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer of just getting your guy now because you don't know what's going to happen down the road. One last name I do want to mention, Gardner Minshew, the, the kid at Washington State. Um, I don't think we should be sleeping on this kid right now. I know it's a Mike Leach quarterback, um, but he's <laughs> starting to put up some big numbers. He's starting to get a little bit of buzz. Maybe we shouldn't be sleeping on this kid. We Take that definitely name down. Have, yeah, yeah, put that the name down. Kid. We At the very a, least, you know he can throw the mesh concept. Yeah, I mean, he certainly can. He certainly can do that. And But, I mean, when you look at sort of numbers right now, you know, he's leading the FBS in passing yardage. You know, he's putting up huge numbers for them. I'm looking at it right now. 71% completion rate, 26 touchdowns, just six interceptions. You know, quarterback rate in college is a little bit different, but quarterback rated of 153.4, you know, in their win against Stanford, uh, 40 of 50 for 438, three touchdowns, no interceptions. You know, he threw five touchdowns against Oregon State, four in their win over Oregon with two picks. I mean, he's somebody that people should start doing work on as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we uh, we definitely have quite a few names to we got watch a list. down. We've There's... got a list, and that, yeah. that's where you just got to start. You start with a list, and then we can all yell at each other over you know January, February, and March about how bad or how good these guys are, and everybody can tell me how bad my takes are because that's the nature of the beast. 
But that's why we talk about quarterbacks because everybody loves to talk about quarterbacks. Yeah, and this is a Giants team that, whether they wanted to or not, now needs to talk about quarterbacks. Uh, so, uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fantastic. Uh, hopefully everyone else agrees. I definitely do as someone who's in the very preliminary stage of, of the quarterback evaluation process. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Uh, where can everyone find uh, your work if, if they would like to do that? Uh, well, guys, thanks so much for having me. Uh, this was a blast. People can hopefully tell I do sort of enjoy talking about quarterbacks. Um, mainly because I spend all of my wicked moments thinking about quarterbacks when I'm not playing Red Dead 2, which, by the way, if you haven't got yourselves Red Dead 2, go out and buy it. Although, judging by the fact that they almost hit a billion in sales over the first week, and most of you probably have gotten it, but if, if you haven't, get your hands on Red Dead 2. It's fantastic. And no, I don't have any family members that are over at Rockstar Games. I just like the game that much. But it's said, if you do want to follow me and my random musings on quarterbacks, video games, and Toto, best place to do that is at Mark Schofield on Twitter, um, Inside the Pylon, Pro Football Weekly, The Score, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scout and Portfolio, Big Blue View, Minnesota Rivals, footballguys.com. I think that's pretty much the exhausted list of where I'm contributing. I know I forgot one or two places, but those are the places you can check me out writing about this game we all know and love. Yeah, if you're anywhere on the internet, you're probably reading Mark on quarterbacks somewhere. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> chances are, and if you're not on the internet, um, I just, you know, th there's a way you can get me your home address. I can just write you <laughs> postcards every week or so about quarterbacks, if that's the way you'd rather do it. I'd be more than happy to do that. Uh, if, if you want to consume my work, but you're afraid of the internet, I'll find a way to get it to you. I think we just figured out the newest subscription service is, yeah. is, is Mark Scofield. Scouted postcards. postcards. There we go. We are bringing back the Pony Express. There we Hey, it ties into the Red Dead 2 thing, so there it you does. go. It does. <laughs> All right, Mark, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank everyone else for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.